0: Welcome to City Church. We are a biblically-based, relationally-driven, spirit-led church, encouraging everyone to follow Jesus, grow together, and serve others. We're excited to share this sermon with you today, and you can always find out more about us online at citychurchseville.com. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. City Church is a biblically-based, relationally-driven, spirit-led church. We practically walk these three principles out by being a church that calls people to follow Jesus, grow together, and to serve others. The sermon bumper that you just watched, by the way, that's the technical term, sermon bumper, (laughs) was entitled His Kingdom First, and if you've been around city, you know that for the past two years, we have focused on one thing, and that's the kingdom of God. Two years ago, in 2022, we took a look at the kingdom of God. What is it? And all this past year, we've taken a look at the kingdom of God. How do you live in it? Well, the reality of it is at the very center of the kingdom of God is a sermon that Jesus delivered called the Sermon on the Mount. If you want to know how to live in the kingdom, look there. That's where you'll find it. And so up on the screen behind me is a QR code. And that QR code, if you wanted to grab your smartphone real quick and pick it out and put it up there, will take you to the Bible Project. The Bible Project has just produced and developed a years-long study on the Sermon on the Mount. If you sign up for this, you will get an email once a week that will have a video and other supporting things that will help you walk through the Sermon on the Mount. You know what's super cool is that the guy at the Bible Project that has spent the last several years developing the characters, building this and developing this, his sister attends our church. Isn't that pretty cool? So he was one of the founding graphic artists and technical people that have been involved with the Bible Project. And so again, that QR code will take you to actually the website for the Bible Project. You can scroll down and quickly sign up for these emails. I've done that myself, and you'll get an email once a week that will help you walk through the Sermon on the Mount. And truth be told, they will do a much better job than I did all last year, so... And the other part of the preaching team, it wasn't just myself, not that I'm besmirching them either, but the Bible project is phenomenal. So as we think about um, this coming year, 2024, what we did all uh, two years ago, kingdom of God, what is it? Last year, how do you live in it? Huge push for everyone to be involved with serving, none of that's going to stop. But one of the things that we really felt was that this year, we kind of needed to move into the year and really focus on the life of the Spirit. Because we've been talking about how do you live in the kingdom, and now it's going to be moving towards, in different ways, the idea of the Holy Spirit and life in the Spirit. And the best way to begin the year dealing with this is through spiritual disciplines. Spiritual disciplines. And so we've got a few copies left in the foyer. If you didn't get this book yet, um, it's entitled The Celebration of Discipline by Richard Foster. If you haven't picked up a copy yet, we've given away hundreds and hundreds over the past month. There's a few left. As you exit the auditorium to the right, you'll see on the right there, there's a coffee table. We maybe have 20 or so copies of these left. Not all of them have this this cover, this is the latest edition. We went and bought so many that we had to get used ones and all of the rest. But if you didn't pick your book up yet, please feel free to do that as you exit as long as supplies last. Now, this book, Celebration of Discipline, contains 13 disciplines. What we're going to do in this sermon series to start off the year, we're going to highlight seven of them. Full Confession. This morning, I'm going to deal with confession. It's actually chapter 10 in the book, so all of you type A people, I know that's going to freak you out that we're not starting with the first one. But the reason why I wanted to deal with chapter 10, there's 13 disciplines, this is the seventh, is because I can think of no better way to exit one year and start another than confession, than looking in the rearview mirror of 2023 and committing to God, Jesus, the Spirit of God, and yourself that you're not going to exit this year and carry into next year the things that you know are not God's best. So to prepare our hearts for that, I'm going to ask that you would stand with me. We're going to do what we always do here at City in every service, and that is we're going to pray the Lord's Prayer out loud, which, by the way, is the prayer Jesus gives us in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. Again, this isn't just an example on how to pray. It's actually the prayer of the kingdom of God. So let's pray it out loud. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven... Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth in Charlottesville as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we... Turn and greet your neighbor with a fist bump, high five, hug, or a handshake. Try to get to know someone new before you're seated. Again, hopefully you met someone new. As a relationally driven church, that's always music to my ears when everyone's greeting one another. And again, uh, so grateful that you're here and that you're worshiping with us for those of you who are online. What we're going to do in this sermon is take a look at confession, A confession. Now, where we're getting ready to read is from 1 John. John, just so you know, the writer of 1 John was Jesus' best friend. He is described in the gospel of John as the disciple whom Jesus loved. By the way, if he was to text that, it would be be BFF. He's Jesus' BFF. So what we're going to do is we're going to read how he starts 1 John. It's a little bit of Scripture. I'm going to read it out loud. Just read along quietly with me. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched. This we proclaim concerning the word of life. By the way, my humble opinion is you just read how everyone comes to Jesus. You hear about, first of all, you hear about him. Then you begin to look, your eyes begin to see And then it says, which we have looked at. In the Greek, that means to come close to and to look intensely. And then at some point by faith, you reach out and touch him for yourself. I honestly believe John has just laid out the way that people come to Jesus. Reading on, this light, the life appeared. We have seen it and testified to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was from the Father. And has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. Reading on, this is the message we have heard from him, meaning Jesus, and declare to you God is light. In him, there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie, we do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all. And the footnote there is every, every sin, is that right out of the gate, John, Jesus' BFF, wants you to know that there's this God that will cleanse you from all unrighteousness. What's interesting to note is if you did a cursory reading of the Newer Testament, here's what you would discover, is that as soon as Jesus begins to appear, there are people who are confessing their sins. Matthew 3, 6, confessing their sins. They were baptized by John the Baptist in the Jordan River, and that's where Jesus as well is baptized, and God the Father through the Spirit and a voice from heaven declares that Jesus truly is the Messiah, the Messiah. So at the outset of the gospel, people are confessing their sins. Then if you were to read into the Newer Testament, you would discover in Acts chapter 19, verse 18, we see the same thing still happening after Jesus is resurrected and ascended to the Father. Acts 19, 18, many of those who believe now came and openly confessed what they had done. The point that I'm trying to make is that confession is part of what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. Confession. I want to give you my definition of confession. Here we go. Confession is when I square up to my own life and admit to God and others my participation in bringing chaos into the world. It's called sin instead of participating with God and seeing his kingdom come to earth as it is in heaven. That is shalom. You see, the devilish nature of sin is this, is that when I choose to sin, I'm actually participating with chaos and seeing it come to earth. That's what I'm doing. Sin is defined in a lot of ways, but I have found the more I've studied the kingdom of God in the Newer Testament, this is the nefarious nature of sin. It's where I choose to participate with chaos, which is the force that competes against God's goodness in the world. So when I sin, I look at the darkness the adversary of our soul, whatever it is. But when you peel it back, really what sin is, is when I look at all of the forces that oppose God's best in the world, and I say, I'm gonna go choose to do that. And when I do, and I participate with that, I, through my actions, bring chaos into the world. And chaos is why Jesus came, in order to deal with it and to bring about God's order which, by the way, in the Scriptures is known as shalom, God's peace. Conversely, when I choose to follow God, to look at the Sermon on the Mount, to participate with God in seeing his kingdom come, when I make choices that are in alignment with the kingdom of God, I participate with God in seeing shalom come. Do you get the difference? Sin is when I partner with chaos and chaos advances in the world through me, I participate with it. When I choose to follow God, what happens is now God's shalom can come into the world as well through my life as I participate with God in his kingdom. Now, oftentimes, when you begin to look at confession, it's helpful to know what it isn't. So I've also now kind of presented another definition of confession. Maybe this will help some of you. Here's what I wrote. Forgetting is not the same as confessing. Forgetting is the attempt to suppress and pave over what we have done. Confession is the spiritual discipline of facing up to what we have done and bringing our sin or sins into the light. Oftentimes, and you just read about this in 1 John, when the Scriptures begin to talk about sin and confession, the conversation is about darkness and light. And confession ultimately is my admission that I've been participating with darkness seeing chaos come into this world, and God, I'm making the choice to bring what I've done into the light. This has been helpful for me. Maybe not you, but for me. Sin to me is like mold. The way you deal with it is bring it into the light. If you leave it in the darkness, it continues to fester and grow. So the reality of it is, is confession is a spiritual discipline of bringing when I have participated with chaos into the world, into the light, saying, God, here I am. I'm here to confess. Now, I want to bring us back to two verses that we already read. 1 John 1, 8 through 10. Here's what Jesus' best friend says. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Man, that is not good news. When I was first stepping into church, I was taught that the good news of the gospel has to first become the bad news that you're a sinner. And then it becomes the good news. I'm keenly aware that we live in a world where people say, don't tell me when I'm wrong. Let me live my life. I get that. But the problem is, is if your life is like mine, that story doesn't seem to end well. And so what First John begins by saying is if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Turn to the people on either side of you and just look at them and say, you sinner. Just say it like get it out, get it all out. Gosh, you're a sinner. You're like the worst. You're the absolute worst. And so what happens next though is notice what John says. He says, if we confess our sins, man, if we're willing to square up to them, he, meaning Jesus, is faithful and just. This satisfies the justice of God as it goes back through the cross of Christ. And this book, Celebration of Discipline, in chapter 10, does a phenomenal job of the biblical underpinnings of why confession actually works chapter 10. But John writes, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. And then just to make sure in case we didn't hear him the first time, he says again, if we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. So the reality of it is, is for me and for you, we recognize that we truly are people who have sinned. The question is, what will I do about it? Will I forget it and try to pave over it? Or will I do what verse 9 said to do? Will I confess it? If I will do that, God is faithful and just, and he will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Now, the reality of it is, there is so much I could preach and teach on this morning on confession, but I prayerfully have moved towards the things that I believe God wants me to share. Let's start here. I took a quote from chapter 10 from this book. And here's what Richard Foster wrote. If we know that the people of God are first a fellowship of sinners, we are freed to hear the unconditional call of God's love and to confess our needs openly before our brothers and our sisters. You see, Richard Foster knows 1 John Chapter 1, verses 8 through 10, he knows that that's true. And so what he says is, is that you worship every Sunday among a group of people, and what he calls us is a fellowship of sinners. Knowing this frees me up to be able to go and deal with confession in one of the ways the Bible, I believe, demonstrates where to deal with it. First of all, I believe there are two ways in my life where I deal with confession. The first one is this. The first way I deal with confession is privately. It's just between me and God. Where? And this is just a habit of mine, and I learned this from an absolute saint of a man who from a distance discipled me. I never met him. He never knew who I was, but I listened to a lot of his teachings, listened to his preaching, was at a conference where he spoke when I was a chaplain, and just his life really spoke to me. And what he said was, is that every single morning when he took a shower or at night, he would get in the shower, and he would begin to wash himself. And when he did, he would ask God to cleanse him. Now, what he said is what I've experienced as well. My hair is getting less and less every time I get in there. It just male pattern baldness, receding hairline. But the idea of it is, is that it's amazing to me, and I'm going to get to this in a moment, that I have walked with Jesus as long as I have since I was a preteen boy, and I'm now 59. And I've walked with Jesus all of these decades. And still, every time I step into the shower and I go to take a shower, I find that there's something I need to confess. Now, that's one type of confession. There's another type of confession that I think is very important. Let me explain an experience of my own life that happened two years ago. I was sitting in my house. Fran was out. The kids were out. It was an evening. And I was sitting in my house, just kind of doing just routine stuff. And to be completely blunt, this sense of temptation to do something just completely began to cover me. It literally came out of nowhere. And here I am in my house just doing normal household stuff, and all of a sudden there was this, this temptation. I can't even explain how potent it was. And again, there was nothing building up to it at all. Just womp. and there it was. And so here I was feeling this temptation to do something that I know is outside of God's best. By the way, you can call this spiritual warfare, you can call this the flesh, you can call it whatever you want because I believe it's all of that stuff. But this driving temptation began to hit me to go do something I know is against God's best and will participate with the chaos of the world. When that hit me, Behind it was this voice, and the voice said the following to me, Pete, ain't it funny that you've walked with God for decades and you're still like this? You're the pastor of a church. Can you imagine you're the pastor of a church? And look at what you're dealing with. You ought to be more mature than that. The next voice I heard was a soft, still voice. And a voice said this to me, call Joe and tell him about this temptation. So I did. I grabbed my cell phone and I called a friend of mine that I met in 1986. He was a chaplain prior to me. He handed me the baton at the place where I ministered before coming here. And Joe and I have done life together for decades. And I picked up the phone, and Joe answered, and I said, Joe, I just wanted to tell you, I've had this sudden temptation to do thus and such. And he said, Pete, I'm glad you called. Let me pray. I can't tell you how toothless that temptation became instantly. It just fell away. Now, that's my experience. I know other people that have done similarly, pretty much the same, and they've still struggled. I'm just telling you, I don't know all that confession does. But what I sensed the Spirit of God, that still small voice said to me was, deal with it before you go and do it. But there was an opposing voice that kept saying, you ought to be more mature than this. You're the pastor of a church. And what that voice was trying to do was trying to puff up the pride so that I would just kind of live into the thing. I will admit, it was kind of humbling to call up my buddy Joe. Say, Joe, here's what I'm dealing with. He just said, Pete, let me pray. And the thing just simply began to fall away. There's another form of confession that probably is deeper than that. And as I prayed about confession and bringing things to God... There's one verse that really was driving, and I want to kind of bring this to us. James 5.16. Here's what the text says. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Here's the thing. Be careful who you confess to if you know that you've had a sin in your life and you sense it needs to go beyond the private, just between you and God, if that's the case, be careful who you confess to. I'm so grateful Joe is in my life and I was able to call him. But there's a specific thing I felt like God put on my heart that we need to deal with this morning. And that is found in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15. Here's what the text says. See to it that no, not, that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. I want to read the text again, book of Hebrews. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble And defile many. What an odd phrase, bitter root, a root of bitterness. I wanna tell you my own story about a root of bitterness. First of all, the biblical writer here in the book of Hebrews, we don't know who wrote it, was a genius. Because when they started to write about bitterness, they wrote about a root of bitterness. And here's why it's genius. Many of us in our lives maybe had episodes when we were young. I know that I did. And oftentimes when we are young, stuff happens to us or we're shown examples of how to deal with life. And because of some stuff, often when we're young, or it can happen when you're older, maybe even in your marriage, where suddenly there's this bitterness that begins to grow Against an individual, maybe a group of people. In my life, it kind of came down to one particular person. But I had what was called a root of bitterness. And what you'll tell yourself is when you don't, when you have this bitterness against this person, you'll say, I'm just bitter against them, no one else. But you see, the genius of the writer of Hebrews is this. As you say, I'm just bitter against this person, but it's a root of bitterness. What do roots do? You compartmentalize the relationship with this person, but the root grows under the wall and begins to come up in different compartments relationally of our lives. I've experienced that. I know what it's like to be bitter against a certain person And yet the root of bitterness grows under the wall and begins to affect tons of my relationships to the point, and I've shared this before here at City, to the point where this was probably about eight years ago, well, more like 10 years ago now, I found there was a slow boiling anger that was in my life. I had family members that mentioned it. One in particular squared up to me, a member of my family, and just said something that really struck me because my anger, my temper, had begun to really rage. It was embarrassing. I thought I dealt with it, thought that it was gone. Clearly, it wasn't. When that family member who dearly loved me squared up to me across the table and said something to me, it was like an absolute punch in the gut. And what I did was... I got up from that table, went and I apologized to them, went and began to pray and sensed clearly that same still small voice, Pete, you can't deal with this one on your own. Interestingly enough, we had a pastor that worked with us part-time. He had told me about a counselor that he went to see. I called Ron up. I said, I need that guy's number. He gave it to me and I called a counselor that counsels pastors in Roanoke. And I called him up and I called the guy and I said, listen, I'm having to deal with anger in my life. I don't think I can do this on my own. Will you see me? He said, Pete, I don't have any appointments for a week. I said, well, I'll be on your front porch tomorrow morning. You can do what you want. I'm coming. I did. I'm like, I'm not going to not do this. I just literally went, walked into his secretary, and she goes, oh, you're the guy that said you were coming even if we didn't have an appointment. I said, it is me. I'm guilty as whatever, but, and he had made space. And here was the crazy thing that happened in my life. I can't remember a single thing he said to me. Can't remember a single thing. Great counselor. All I know is, is when I, he was a great counselor, by the way. I sat across the table from him, and as I began to tell him about my anger and the root of bitterness that I thought I had compartmentalized and it only would affect me and that person had grown under the wall and had affected so many people, especially those that I loved the most, as I began to tell him about that, he just kind of looked at me. I was teary-eyed. I was brokenhearted. I was kind of crying in his office, and he just kind of looked at me and listened, and I can't tell you the weight that rolled off of me. I can't even describe it. It was as though when I humbled myself and admitted I can't do this alone, and I humbled myself, went doing something I can't stand to do, and that's pay someone, I went and paid someone to help me help myself. I can't tell you the weight that lifted off of my chest. And I will tell you, one of the lightest moments spiritually of my life after I first repented and accepted Jesus was the drive from Roanoke to Charlottesville. I can't tell you what an awesome drive that was and the lightness that filled my soul. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. 1 John 1.9 says this, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and will purify us from all unrighteousness. How are we going to put feet to our faith with this message? Well, I always feel that feet to our faith is important so on all of your seats, there is a slip of paper. And this is a trash can. Some of us, you already know what you need to confess. Maybe you don't have a pen, totally fine. But here's the reality of confession. I think confession beyond the private, takes us actually putting action, doing something physically to be a part of it, whether it was my calling Joe, my being in the shower, or reaching out to the counselor. But what I can say to you is this. Whenever I confess and I take action on the confession, God has met me every time. I don't want us to exit 2023 and go into 2024 and carry this stuff with us. And so, as the worship team begins to lead us in worship, and we're going to sing the worship song, Living Hope. If you know there's something you need to confess, you know it. You know it to the depths of your soul. What I want you to do is, we begin to worship, and I know it's going to get messy. There's a lot of people in here. But if you feel like there's something that you need to confess and bring to God and you sense the Spirit convicting you, I just want you to come up. If you want to write on it, you can. If not, just place it in the trash and say, God, I'm going to leave this here as I start the new year. And here's what I want you to do. If you're here with your spouse and they get up to drop something in the trash, What I don't want you to do when they return to their seat, say to them, what was that? Don't do that. Maybe they'll tell you, maybe they won't. By the way, you might be their bitter root, so you might just want to remain quiet. But what I want us to do is take a moment as the worship team begins to lead us. If you sense the Spirit of God convicting you, calling you the way that I have those two times in my life and many others. But if you sense the Lord calling you, I want you to get out of where you're seated, come and just put it in the trash and go back to your seat. There's something that happens when we put two feet to our faith with confession.